So we're calling this study the return of King Jesus. So Revelation 19 verses 11 through 21. Um, as we moved into this chapter last week, um, we, we saw Babylon had fallen and heaven is rejoicing at the fall of Babylon, this evil system that had persecuted the saints of the Most High, those tribulation saints, the nation of Israel. They were uh, martyred for their faith. Um, the Antichrist, um, that political figure that is worshipped, the false prophet who stirs up the last uh, day's world religion, and that seat of his uh, headquarters and re the religious system is in a revitalized um, ancient Babylon, literal ancient Babylon, revitalized, and that is destroyed, and there's rejoicing in heaven, and it, a statement is made, and we're told that the, the marriage of the, of the lamb has come, that he has been joined together with the bride, which we know is the church. And then there's an announcement that there is a, a, uh, the bridegroom's supper, the, the marriage feast of the lamb. So you have the marriage and you have the marriage feast. You have the marriage and you have the wedding reception, right? You have the wedding ceremony, you have the wedding. So this is what we're talking about. And so this is something that we went through and talked about how this is a, an event, uh, both the marriage and the wedding feasts that are yet to come. The marriage is going to happen in heaven when the church is raptured up. And then the wedding feast is something that's going to happen um, during the millennial kingdom, probably the, you know, shortly after it is established. So, and that is something that I believe is going to happen here on planet Earth. Some of the reasons why I believe that's going to happen um, was we read through the different parables. It talks about how the Lord calls people from the east and the west and the north and the south clear reference to the earth, to come and to uh, join in this celebration. Now, as we continue on here in chapter 19, verse 11, we'll read a few verses. Let's read verses 11 through 13. And we are now going to begin to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So as we get this description of Jesus, we see him not as a lamb that's come to be slain, but we see him coming as a judge. We see Jesus the judge uh, coming on the scene. In his first coming, Jesus was meek. He was lowly, riding upon a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know that this is uh, something that was fulfilled on the day that Jesus came into uh, the, the city of Jerusalem. Right before his crucifixion, a week before. So on Palm Sunday, he comes in and he fulfills verse 9. This, this um, man of peace, King Jesus, came to Israel and they rejected him. But when he comes back a second time, which we're reading about, he's not coming back lowly and riding on a donkey. He is coming back as one that is ready to make war. He is one that is coming 
um, to judge, as we read at the verse, end of verse 11, he judges and makes war. Very different than his first coming. But if we read the next verse in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, and I haven't read that yet, you can see the first and second coming in verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 is first coming. Verse 10 is second coming. Uh, this is why we should never judge the, uh, the apostles and um, that first century uh, Israel that was receiving Jesus as the Messiah that they expected for him to set up a kingdom. Because the very next verse, as we read it, says, still Zechariah 9 verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You can see why they expected that kingdom to be established at his first coming. But they rejected him. And so the second coming is going to be where he fulfills those promises of bringing peace and uh, seeing uh, uh, you know, military equipment, tanks and helicopters. Those are going to be turned into tractors and crop dusters, I guess. I don't know if we'll need crop dusters, actually, in the Millennial Kingdom. I think the Lord will take care of all that. But, but the implements of war will be turned into the implements of agriculture at the second coming. So when we are introduced to Jesus in verses 11 through 13, we see him as a very different Jesus and his mission. Now, character, same person, right? But his mission and why he's coming is very different. Um, one of the things that we, we uh, read in Matthew 24, uh, verses 27 through 31, uh, is also referring to this time of his coming. And it's a, it's a classic passage return, referring to the second coming of Jesus. It's his words. He says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What's that? Everybody's going to know. You can't hide. When lightning shoots across the sky, what do we all say to each other? Did you see that? <laughs> Um, and this is what Jesus is saying. Verse 28, For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So these are the verses. There are so many passages that we can turn to. And we're going to turn to a lot of them tonight that talk about this event of Jesus coming uh, to judge. And, and we hear that, that element of judgment there in verse 28 of Matthew 24. Wherever the carcass is, their eagles will be gathered together because there's going to be massive bloodshed. Massive carnage is going to take place at the second coming. But at the conclusion of his coming, peace upon a war-torn world will finally come. And there will never be a time where we will see this. Now, at the end of the thousand years, there's going to be one rebellion, but there will never be generations of wars, years of wars that will go on again. It will be a time of 
peace. Now, the description we have of Jesus in verses 11 through 13, it probably sounds familiar. We've come across some of these descriptions already through the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to look at each one of them. But if we look at just verse 12 in Revelation 19, it says, His eyes were like a flame of fire. In Revelation 1.14, it says, His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. From the beginning of the book of Revelation to the end of the book of Revelation, the, uh, the, the eyes of judgment that see through everything are, is how Jesus is characterized. This was true with the church. He saw her for where she really was and what needed to change. And he called her to repentance. And he warned her that if repentance did not come, that judgment would come and he would remove her lampstand. Well, now we're talking to the nations and it is just the same. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He's coming in, his, in the wrath of almighty God to judge. Well, can, can God come in wrath? Well, evidently so, because we read it here. Well, and this maybe doesn't fit your senses. This maybe doesn't you know, align with your emotional idea of who Jesus should be and how he should come. Well, sorry, it's time for your emotions and your senses to be realigned with who God has revealed himself and his son to be and the mission that he is coming on. In verse 13, it says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Now, uh, you know, we, if we're not familiar with this scene, our attention might immediately go to the atoning work of Jesus and how he was scourged and how he was beaten and a crown of thorns was placed upon him and they were taking on and off his clothes. And are these the clothes that are stained with blood? And, and certainly those clothes were stained with blood and his atonement. But this is not a passage contextually that's talking about atonement. This is a passage that's talking about judgment. So it's Jesus' clothes, yes, that are stained with blood, but it's not his blood. It's the blood of those he is coming to judge. And this is a bloody time in the history of the world. We read in verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I love this. This is a reference to, well, actually, we have a plural uh, reference to the armies, right? It's not just one army, it's multiple armies. So the, the one that's noted here, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This would be the, the saints, but the, we also read back in Matthew 24 that there are others that are coming with him and there are angels. So you have the host of heaven. Now here's something that maybe um, you've never identified before, but when you read through the Old Testament, you'll read the Lord of hosts. What does that mean, hosts? Uh, or is he like welcoming people in? No, this is uh, the Lord of the armies of heaven. And so the angels, Matthew 24, again, verses 27 through 31, make references to the angels that are coming. But it's also us that are going to be coming with him. The church, the bride, who has just been joined, so now I guess we could say the wife of the lamb, because this is where we are in the, the chronology of, of the future, um, she is joined to him and she is coming with him. And um, so this is what we're reading. Coming on, on white horses. 
Now, these armies, please note this, write it down. These armies are not needed for the Lord, the King of, King to have vic- King of Kings, to have victory. He's going to fight on his own, and he's going to fight with the word of his mouth. We'll see this. We've seen this in the past. In other words, Jesus is not going to be clanging swords with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And, you know, uh, he's kind of winning. He's kind of losing. He's kind No, that's not what's going to happen. We're talking about, you know, God Almighty here in the flesh coming to judge his creation. With a word, he spoke the world into existence. And with the sword of his mouth, in other words, with the words of judgment that come from his mouth, the armies will be destroyed. Jude also refers to these saints that are going to be coming with Jesus. In Jude, there's only one chapter, but verses 14 and 15, but I'm I'm going to just read the kind of the heart of this passage. It says, "Behold, behold, the Lord comes. That's what we're talking about, his coming. With ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all. Read, read the whole section there. Jude, verses 14 and 15. I kind of read the end of 14, the beginning of verse 15. But he's coming to execute judgment. Who's going to be with him? The saints. And so as we read about those that are in fine, clean, white linen, these are the saints. And again, we can just see how Scripture compared with Scripture is all sharing the same idea. We move on into Revelation 19, verses 15 through 18. And and as you kind of turn back to Revelation 19, I just want you to ponder this for a moment. Is that here we are today, living our lives on planet Earth, living for the Lord. One day the Lord is going to come and He's going to rapture the church or we're going to die and be with Him. And we'll be with Him and we will go through a judgment, not of our souls, but of our works. And then at that moment, after we have been purified, um, and the garments are always a reference to uh, the righteous deeds and salvation. We will be clothed in the garments that signify our salvation, but also, as we read last week, of our good works that we have done to the honor and glory of the Lord. And so we'll be decked out in this fine, clean linen. There will be a marriage that takes place in heaven where we, the church, will be joined to Jesus Christ. And then heaven is going to open and there'll be the announcement and we'll all get on our horses and we will be following King Jesus as he comes back to judge this earth. And how is he described again in the beginning of, of this section? True and righteous. Yes, he's coming in the wrath of Almighty God, but this is not a capricious God. This is not an out of control God. This is not a God who's offended and now out of uh, having a vindictive spirit, he's going to, well, I'll show them. No, it is a God who's given mankind time to repent and time to repent and has not repented. Well, why doesn't he just give him more? No more time. I believe this completely. If God was to give another thousand years beyond this moment, not another person would be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. So at the moment he chooses to judge, he knows that no more will come to faith. That the number has been fulfilled of those that will have faith. 
And you say, no, I don't believe that. If they, if they could just be a part of a perfect environment. Well, we'll see in a couple of weeks that living for a thousand years with Jesus ruling and reigning upon the earth, that those who are born during the thousand years will be deluded by Satan at the end of those thousand years and they will make war against him. Perfect environment does not produce righteousness. A relationship with Jesus Christ and faith in him does. So it's time for the judgment to come and we will be riding with him and we will watch all of these things happen. So now verse 15 through 18, we see that Jesus will destroy the armies of the Antichrist. So now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. So just think about this as um, it's a, the sharp sword is a metaphor for words of judgment. He's going, he spoke mankind into existence. He's going to speak these armies out of existence, if you will. So out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself, this is a way, you know, when we find a statement where he himself, it's for emphasis. So he's not going to have some representative doing this, right? It's a way to say that Jesus himself is going to execute this uh, judgment with a rod of iron. In other words, it's going to be his way or the highway. There will come a time where there will be no flexibility. You will live, the world will live the way the Lord has told him. And he will judge and rule over them. We read here, he himself treads. We get another metaphor, right? He himself treads in the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Now we we're not used to we're not used to wine presses. We're not used to you know we want grape juice. We go buy a bottle of grape juice. Some of you maybe do this. I don't know, but. I doubt very few of you have ever made your own grape juice. You've ever made your own, uh, you know, uh, uh, product from, from the vine. But this was an image that was very vivid in their minds. They all did this. As a matter of fact, when you go to Israel and you go to uh, Nazareth, they have found a little um, section, a little archaeological discovery there in Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, where there's a wine press and they... There's a wine press in this area. And Nazareth was so small back then that one of the uh, uh, perspectives is they would have only needed one wine press. And so when you go there, you can actually be at a place where um, the whole city would have come out at the time of harvest to, to harvest the grapes and to tread the wine press. And as they would tread the grapes, they would begin to turn to liquid and they would have channels by which that liquid would, would come out and they would catch that and then they would have their juice, they could make their wine or whatever they wanted. But in the process of squishing and stamping out the, the, the grapes, I mean, you know what it's like when you, you have grape juice. It's inevitable you're going to get a drop somewhere. Now imagine, you know, a treading the wine press, you're, you're, you're stomping and squishing and trying to get every drop you can out of those grapes. This is not a delicate process, right? You're trying to squish it. It's, it's splatter time. Most of you right now are thinking about um, Lucille. Uh, I love Lucy and uh, Lucille Ball when she was in that wine press and you know, they were just going through and all over the clothes. This is the imagery. But this is not a comical imagery. This is 
a, um, it's a tragic imagery. The man has rejected God, and now God in the flesh is judging these nations that have rebelled against him, who have come, we're going to read it in just a moment, to fight and to do battle with him and destroy the nation of Israel. So this is what's going on. This is what we are, are, are reading about here uh, in this picture of the wine press. And it's in the, the fierceness of, and wrath of Almighty God. Who can stand? Nobody can stand. Verse 16, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, he's going to battle and he's facing these nations. And as they look through their binoculars and all the rest, and they see him coming, they're like, what's written on his, on his, on his, uh, uh, his, his thighs? King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is this? This is the Lamb of God. They know who they're fighting against. It is meant to be uh, something that would cause them to turn. So the imagery is of blood-stained clothes because God is judging the nations, the armies that have gathered together. Now, I want to take some time to read some other passages because I want us to see that what the Old Testament prophets were speaking of at the establishment of the kingdom and the rescuing of Israel is exactly what the prophet John is talking about here. So first of all, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 63. And I really encourage you to read much more than these verses I'm going to give you. But Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, it's a messianic passage that's talking about the salvation of Israel at the end of days. Listen how similar the language is. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Well, that can only be one person. That's Jesus. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden in the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're... You're reading the next verses of Revelation 19, um, verse you know, uh, 16. It's just like it's continuing on. It's so clear what's being talked about. But, but something I want you to see is what's added in this passage is the location. The location is mentioned here of where this judgment is going to take place. Now, I know most of you are thinking Armageddon. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that's where the nations gather together. That's up in the north of Israel. Basra, or Edom, is, is, in the, is far south. It's 100 miles south, actually, of Jerusalem. And it's on the other side of, uh, of the Dead Sea. It's, a, it's part of modern-day Jordan. And the city of Basra, um, we can't say with uh, certainty, but it, in my opinion, when we read about Basra here, we're, we're talking about ancient Petra. And when you go to Petra, you go through this really narrow channel. It opens up into this basic, massive bowl of mountains that is, uh, just provides safety and protection. It was um, something that the Edomites, they boasted in their pride that nobody could ever take them down, that the rocks hid them. And they were like an eagle up in the clefts of the rock. And who could take us down? The Lord says, I can. 
Well, remember Jesus said in Matthew 24 that when you see the abomination of desolation, those of you who are in Judea should what? You should flee to the wilderness, to the mountains. And it is this location down in the south, um, in Edom, in Basra, wherever Basra actually is, I, I say Petra, but it's there where the nations of Israel have gathered and they've set up temporary living conditions because they're fleeing from the Antichrist. Okay, well, let's, let's go back in Isaiah to chapter 34 this time. And let's read verses 1 through 7. So now, having the imagery of the wine press, knowing that he's judging at the end of days, and now we've got a location, right? We have something to mark where this is happening in Edom. Let's read Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 7. Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all the things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations. So already... Right? It's beginning to sound exactly the same. His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also, verse 3, their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a squirrel. And their host shall fall down as the leaves fall from the vine and the fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down where? On Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has sacrificed in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. Their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. So it's a very graphic image that's trying to communicate to us massive bloodshed. Now, you know, we read about how blood will flow up to the horse's bridle. Um, and it's, you know, about 200 miles is uh, the statement that we read. And so um, interesting geography points here. If you go from... Uh, Armageddon in the north, as the, the crow flies, if you will, and you go all the way down to uh, Petra and Edom, you're right around those 200 miles, just a little less than 200 miles. Um, there's some other passages, I'm not going to get to it, but also speak of how this blood will flow down into, the, um, down into the Gulf, down into the Red Sea. Um, so down the Red Sea, kind of in the south of Jerusalem, the very, very south, and you hit the sea. So from... Jerusalem to that location is about 200 miles. So, you know, where that exact marker is going to be, we are not certain. We know it's outside the, the walls of Jerusalem. Um, we know it's in Basra. So do you go from Jerusalem north to Armageddon to get your 200? Or do you go from Jerusalem all the way down to uh, the Red Sea to get your 200? But there's going to be massive bloodshed. And so you can, you, you, again, this is an imagery that's picked up over and over again. So while the climax of the second coming is going to take place on the Mount of Olives, right? 
That's the climax of it all. It seems evident that the children of Israel who fled into the wilderness at the abomination of desolation will be the first place that the Lord shows up to deliver them and to rescue them from this location. So Armageddon, Jerusalem, and down into the south, Edom, um, and the, the one city Basra is mentioned. So, it, it, you know, a, a lot of <laughs> um, dark pictures being painted here of judgment at the second coming of Jesus. Let's, let's move on into verse 17 in Revelation 19. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud vo- voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, don't confuse this with the, the supper uh, you know, of the, the Lamb of God, right? The wedding feast. This is a different supper. You don't want to be invited to this one. If you're invited to this one, you're on the menu. You are the, the nations that have just been destroyed. But he calls the birds of the air that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. So all these that have gathered together, it doesn't matter who you are, they will be destroyed at the sword of the Lord. They will be trampled in the fierceness of his wrath, in the, in the winepress of God, and there will be mass casualty all over the place. But Jesus is about to rule and reign upon the earth. So how is this going to be? How, is, how are you going to deal with all these bodies? Well, the Lord's just going to call the birds of the air to gather all birds of the air to come and eat. Um, turn with me over to Luke. An interesting passage. I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I think it's just kind of a, it's an interesting little cross-reference. So Luke chapter 17 and verse 31 Again, talking about the second coming of the Lord. It says, In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him uh, not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. So there's something urgent. Remember Lot's wife. What happened at the time of Lot's wife? Judgment was happening. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, And that night there will be two men in one bed, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. Now we read this and we think rapture. And I know many of you are still going to hold this view afterwards, and that's fine. We'll just have to agree to disagree. I don't believe we're talking about them being taken in rapture. We're, We're talking about people being taken to judgment. The context is judgment. Let's keep reading. Verse 37. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? Where are they going? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles or vultures. Many of your translations have vultures. And it's the word for um, eagle or vulture is dependent upon context. So think of vulture. I think the New American Standard Bible has vulture in it. So wherever the body is, the vulture will be gathered together. What did we just read in Revelation 19? That the Lord was going to call for the birds of the air. So again, we can just see the parallel of thought and the consistency of theme and what's taking place here in in the entirety of the Bible. 
And so these are going to come. They're going to be destroyed, and then their bodies are going to be picked clean by the vultures that will come from around the earth for this moment. We begin to wrap it up here in Revelation 19, looking at verses 19 through 21. It says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Underline that. These people have gathered together to fight God. You're like, well, how could that? Nobody would do that. <laughs> oh, really? Have you heard of this thing called the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Have you heard that they, they blindfolded Jesus at his first coming and punched him in his face, ripped his clothes off, scourged him, drove nails through his hands and through his feet, spit on his face, humiliated him, stripped him naked. They called him names. Why would it seem amazing to us that the hardness of man's heart would again be there at the next time Jesus came? They're wanting to do to him what had happened the first time. It's almost like Satan said, all right, I get a do-over. I've already beat him once. I can do it again. But this time, it's just not, you know, me and Judas and a couple of crazy religious fanatics in Jerusalem by the name of Annas and Caiaphas. I've got the whole world. I've got, an, I've got a man that I have put my power in called the Antichrist. I've got a false prophet. They have been deluded to come into the land of Israel. Remember in Revelation 16, the Euphrates River dries up. It's something of a sign to them. And this massive armies come. The Babylonian um, uh, forces come led by the Antichrist. They're into the Valley of Jezreel. They're gathered together. They make their way down to uh, do battle in Jerusalem and then down into Basra. And the Lord meets them and they have it in their mind to fight the one who on his thighs, it says, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And then they look at the armies and they say, and we'll take them on too. This is the people that are being trampled in the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. It's like the Lord saying, you did it once, it's not happening again. You will endure my wrath this time. My son will not see this. So this is what's happening. It's so the beast... In verse 19, Antichrist, the kings of the earth, um, they've gathered together to make war against him. Verse 20, then the beast was captured, and with him, the religious leader, who's getting the world, right, to worship the Antichrist, to take the mark of the beast. This guy, the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, these Two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. These men, right? They're just men. They were thrown into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. The false prophet and the Antichrist who have terrorized the world for seven years with intensity for three and a half. They have come to their end. Just turn back a chapter or two, if you will, to chapter 16 and read. I, I referenced it, but let's read it, verses 12 through 16. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And that's, that's where Babylon is, right? And its water dried up so that the way of the kings from the east, the Mesopotamian kings, might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. 
out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You have the unholy trinity. You have Satan, a uh, representing the uh, you know a, a type of the Father. You have the Antichrist representing a type of the Son and the false prophet, a type of the Holy Spirit in a most uh, debased, I don't mean it in a good way represented, but in a, uh, in, in a deceitful way. And, and, and there's this, this prophecy that's coming from them. Verse 14, For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth. So probably those other seven right kings that... Um, We've read so much about the crowns, those other kings that the Antichrist was over, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk in nakedness and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon is in the valley of Jezreel. Jezreel is a massive valley, and this is where they'll, they'll gather. Now, some would say there's going to be a battle there, and I think there's good reason to think there's going to be a battle. Others say, no, this is not a battle. This is like, uh, you know, when uh, in World War II, when um, the Allies came in and they stormed the beaches um, of Normandy, uh, they came in. But where were they before? They were all amassed in, um, over in England. Waiting. And so she's got this massive valley where they're all gathered together. We'll find out what actually happens. But this is where they've come from. This is where they've gathered from um, is to have this battle. Um, in Psalm 2, what does the Lord think of all this? In Psalm chapter 2, you've probably read this psalm many, many times. But have you ever put it in the context of this event of the second coming? And the nations gathered in their arrogance and in their pride, deceived by the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan himself to come and fight against God. What does God think about this battle? As he looks down and sees the armies of the world, what, what, what is his response? Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hills of Zion, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. He was offered this once before, wasn't he? The nations. Satan in the, in the temptation did this, but it wasn't the time. But the father says, you want the nations? Ask for them. And the ends of the earth shall be your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And I want to end right there. 
Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you kissed the Son, the Son of God, Jesus? You know, if you have yet to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you, if the judgment was to begin today, would be on the side of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. But he doesn't want that. He does not want anyone to perish. Now, some maybe are even, as I've been teaching, say, oh, come on, this has been 2,000 years. What is, what is he waiting for? If this was real, it would have already happened. That's why I don't believe it. Well, let me tell you, you're the problem. You're the reason why Jesus hasn't come back. Peter says that God has been patiently waiting, long-suffering, not wanting to engage in this battle, but that all men might come to salvation. You need to put your faith, faith and trust in Jesus that you might receive the kindness and the love and the mercy of the Lord. Let me ask you, why would you reject the love of Jesus Christ? Why would you reject having your sins forgiven? Why would you reject this one who's going to set up a godly kingdom upon this earth and rule and reign where there'll be peace and there'll be justice? We're not going to have bipartisanship. We're not going to have warring countries anymore. It's going to be Jesus. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And it's going to be beautiful. And there's going to be no more war. And there's going to be no more famine. And there's going to be no more disease. Why would you not want that? But you need to come and you need to kiss the sun. That is, you need to worship him. You need to set your affection upon him. You see, a relationship with Jesus Christ is not simply some dead religious experience where you mindlessly go through the motions of religion and you go to church and building and you walk out. We've, we're learning that real clear right now, aren't we? That's not church. That's an aspect. The gathering is an aspect that we've been commanded to do. But if that's the sum total, you've missed it. It's about kissing the sun. It's about having a relationship with him. And I know that if you're hearing this and you've listened with an open heart at all, the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you in. And I would just say, as we close here, repent of your sins. Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. His clothes were stained by his own blood so that one day his clothes wouldn't have to be stained by your blood. And so I'd encourage you to come and to receive Christ as your Savior. And after you do that, Email a friend that maybe invited you to watch or put something out there to us. You can email us here at the church office at cclbird.com. And um, we'll be glad to talk to you. We'll be glad to tell you how you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. So um, for the rest of us, hey, Jesus is coming back. We should be stirred up to walk in holiness. Now, I believe that seven years before this coming will be the rapture of the church. The church will be taken away up in heaven. We will be coming back with him. You see that as we read in these different passages. But it should still alert us to the, the fact that he could come back at any moment. Jesus could come back today for his church. That we might go through that, that, um, that cleansing and that washing at the Bema seat. To be decked out with those clothes. To be joined to him and that, that marriage in heaven. And so then we could come back with him. So for us as Christians, let's make certain that we are looking up and that we are expecting his coming. If we've learned anything in these last couple of weeks, we've learned this. Things change quickly. I know I keep saying that, but that's what I'm going to keep saying. Things change quickly. Could have you ever imagined 
that things would be going on in the world. Let me just say, just, I, I don't want to draw conclusions, but let me just say this. When has the entire world ever agreed upon anything? When has communist China and Russia and Italy and France and America and Canada all agreed at the same time and all the, gover- all the, the different factions of each of those governments agreed at the same time we should head in an economic shutdown of the world? Now, I I can't draw any conclusions beyond the fact that things change quickly. But you know, if the Lord wants to, just like we read there in Revelation 16 that a lying spirit was put in the mouth of these three, the Lord can put a lying spirit in the mouth of counselors around the world to get every leader to move and to march in line for the end of days. Now, I'm not saying this is what we're going through right now, but I'm just saying let it be an illustration to us that it can happen quickly. Don't say, oh, it'll be forever before Jesus comes back. It could be today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're coming for us and that we will rule and reign with you. We pray, Lord, that um, you would draw people unto yourself even at this moment as people are watching and they're listening all over the city of Lynchburg and around this state and around the world, Lord, we pray that you would save and that people would understand that you have told us what's going to happen at the end of the age, that we don't have to walk in darkness or ignorance. And I pray that people would come, we all would come, and that we would kiss the Son and we would trust in him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.